Would you please be seated? Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. We, we are kind of uh, in between things right now as far as uh, messages are concerned. We just ended a series of messages last Sunday, and, uh, and Mother's Day is next weekend, and we've got some things you know, planned that, that we're doing uh, on that day. So today was uh, going to end up just kind of being a standalone Sunday, and so I decided I was going to talk about a subject that uh, we don't talk about very often, uh, but whenever we do, uh, it's, it's always a topic that I get feedback in regards to. I mean, this, this is a topic that definitely interests people, and it seems to uh, spur, uh, stir into motion, you know, additional conversations. So today we're going to be talking about angels, except we're going to be talking about it from a slightly different angle than maybe what we have approached it in years uh, gone by. When we typically visualize an angel in our mind's eye, you know, probably what it is that comes to mind is something along these lines. Because it seems like in art, oftentimes that's the way angels are portrayed. Um, you know, little, little uh, uh, soft fuzzy wings and puffy clouds and, and uh, maybe even the whole childlike type thing going kind of like what's in that image. Um, precious moments down near Carthage, Missouri. You know, they uh, have uh, generated a lot of business doing stuff like this, little figurines of angels. I don't know how many angels they have in their lineup of figurines but I'm sure it is a ton of them. And again, they're all portrayed, you know, along these lines, childlike. And, and so when we think about angels, oftentimes those are the kind of images that come to our mind because that's what we see so often as far as being portrayed um, in children's books and various things like that. Uh, however, the thing is, though, when you look in the Bible, and you start thinking, but how should they be portrayed based on what the Bible says? You don't come away with this kind of an image. You have an image more along these lines, you know, when you're looking in the Bible. You know, it's almost like a warrior type, um, ready for battle sort of thing. Uh, because there are numerous passages of scripture that talk about, you know, that very thing involving angels. Uh, and a number of different movies have portrayed angels like that. I, I was trying to think. I was going to Google this, and I forgot to. Um, the movie that this picture, this image is taken off of, I think it is Legend. Um, and uh, this particular actor is playing the role of Gabriel and, uh, uh, in, in that movie that came out a number of years ago. But those are more along the lines of some of the images that you get if you're just going to be inspired by certain scriptures that you run across. But then you come to this verse in the New Testament that we're going to be focusing so much of our attention on today. 
And all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, wait a minute now. Am I getting this right or not? I'm talking about Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. It says this, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. And that's the primary thrust and emphasis of the verse. It's talking about hospitality. But it's what it tacks on to this that kind of raises your eyebrows a bit. It says, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Now that's intriguing, right? I mean, you read this and it's like, you know, and if this is what an angel is always looking like, it's like, okay, I don't think I've ever entertained someone that looked like that, right? Or like one of those figurines, you know? So, so you know, if, if you're going to look at that verse for what it says, and it's talking about showing hospitality to strangers, but then it says some people, you know, without even realizing it, have entertained angels, then maybe some of the images we have in our mind about angels, you know, we got it all wrong. Maybe uh, the kind of image that ought to come to our mind is something like this when you're talking about an angel. You know, or maybe something along these lines when you're talking about an angel. You know, just ordinary people. Because that would be something that clearly would fit into the second half of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. That some have entertained angels without even realizing it. Now, what I'm going to be talking about here today, not, I have no intention of being revolutionary. I have no intention of being sensational with this topic. Whenever you talk about spiritual and the spiritual realm and angels and stuff like that, it's really easy to, to kind of, you know, for that to gain momentum and kind of become a sensational you know, type topic. And that's, that's not my intent today. But I do believe there is something here that we ought to tune into. You know, if, if there is a reason for Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, being in the Bible, which I believe it, there is, just like any verse of Scripture, I believe there's a reason that it's there, then we need to tune into this and what it is saying. So let's kind of get a running start at this. Let's clear a few things up, all right? about angels. Number one, angels are created beings. Let's start with that. Because when we're talking about angels, we're not talking about uh, a particular type of being that is eternal, that has always existed. Now, God has always existed. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. But angels, no, they have a beginning point. They were created. There's a multiple passages you can go to. Here's a pretty clear one in Psalm 148. And, and, uh, and I'm not going to include verses 3 and 4 in this. That's what the dot, dot, dot is all about. But just to establish that it's talking about angels in the context, verse 2 says, praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. And then where that leads up to in what the psalmist is saying is verse 5. He says, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Okay, so angels are created beings. But they weren't created at the same time that, that human beings were created. Angels weren't created when, when, when we think of creation, we think of this world being created, the solar system, all this kind of 
kind of stuff. No, angels weren't created at that time. They were actually created at a time that preceded that. In a conversation that Job was having with God, actually it's mostly God who is talking at this point because God is, is kind of helping to humble Job um, with some of his thinking. And so God's asking a series of questions that, that Job just doesn't have the wherewithal to be able to answer. But in that, we get some insight. Job 38, verses 4 through 7, God says, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Okay, so we're establishing the fact he's talking about creation here. God's asking the question, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Okay, this is kind of a sideline point, but just so you know it, God can be sarcastic, okay? <laughs> and that's what we see in this passage of Scripture. God says, surely you know. Well, God knows that he doesn't know, you know, but, but again, he's humbling Job. So he's saying, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Now don't forget where that passage began. It's talking about laying the foundation of the earth. And it's saying that, that when the earth's foundation, at the very beginning of creation, when, when all of that was being done, Job, give me some insight here on how it was done and what its measurement was and all of this kind of stuff. But as he's saying all that, it leads to that point that while he was creating everything, God had a cheering section. And those were the angels. The angels were shouting for joy as God was laying the foundation of the earth, as God was creating. Now, based on the passage we already looked at, angels were created. So angels were there when the earth was created. So they had already been created. Now, that leads to multiple other um, insights um, that, that are, are noteworthy. And I'll just point out one of them. And that is, when a person dies, they do not become an angel. Okay? Now, that's, that's not directly tied to these passages, but if you see where that Psalm 148 passage is going and what it said, and now what Job 38 says, it's like, no, angels were already created before human beings were created. So angels don't exist because humans died and went to heaven and became angels. That's not how it works. There's not uh, any verses that teach that particular thing. And sometimes, you know, we hear people talk about it. Sometimes like when you're talking to someone young about their grandparent dying or something saying, oh, now Papa, you know, he went to heaven. Now he's an angel in heaven. And, you know, little comments like that that are made. And I understand the purpose of those comments, but actually that isn't true. A human being that passes away never becomes an angel. That's just not the way it works. Totally separate created beings. Angels were created first, and there's no indication at all in Scripture 
that there's procreation that happens, that angels, you know, they keep populating. No. Angels were all created, and then at a later point, um, the world and all of this was created, including mankind. All right, so angels being created beings. Number two, angels are not omnipresent. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can describe God. You describe God as being omnipotent, which means all-powerful. You describe God as being omnipresent, which means everywhere at one point in time. God can be everywhere. God is right here, and he's over in uh, Columbia, Missouri, where my sister is. He's over in Silver Lake, where my mom is. He's out in Colorado, where my other sister is. And, you know, and, and, and he, he's in all those places at the very same time, because that's part of the nature of God. God is everywhere at the same moment in time. That does not describe angels. Angels, I know they're spiritual beings, and so that's part of the reason that a little confusion develops in our mind and thinking that, well, they can kind of be similar to God in that respect. No, they're not similar to God in that respect because they're not God. Let me show you a passage of Scripture, and I know as soon as I show this passage, it's going to, it's going to raise as many questions as it's going to give insight on this particular point uh, because it is a very interesting passage. It's in Daniel chapter 10, and let me give you a little bit of a running start at this. Daniel was praying, and um, Daniel did not see an answer to his prayer that first week when he started praying. He continues praying. He didn't see an answer to prayer the second week. In fact, the third week came and went. It was at the end of three weeks before Daniel sees any indication of an answer to his prayer. However, an angel on day 21, an angel approaches Daniel and sheds a lot of insight. Here's what the angel says. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. This is kind of a cool thought here. is to realize that here Daniel, a human being, was praying, and on day one, his prayer was heard, and it created some activity in the angelic realm. Because that's part of what this angel is explaining. Is, is uh, um, that, you know, as, as soon as he started praying, you know, he, his request had been heard and he came in answer to the prayer. But there was a problem, and that's where we're at in the middle of that passage. It says, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. Okay, this is intriguing. So Daniel starts praying, and God dispatches an angel in response to the prayer on day one that Daniel is, is praying. However, that angel didn't eventually get to um, Daniel until tw the 21st day, which is illustrating my whole point here that angels are not omnipresent, okay? Because he had to go from point A to point B. But there was a problem. 
there was this, this evil presence called the, in this translation, it's called the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. There was this evil presence that basically interfered with what this angel was doing, detained this angel. And this angel was having a hard time getting past um, what was happening there. And it wasn't until Michael the archangel came. There's only a couple of angels in the Bible that we know names of, and Michael is one of them. And so Michael the archangel came, and that freed up this angel to be able to continue on with the mission of going to Daniel. But by this point in time, it now ended up being 21 days later, you know, from the time that Daniel initially prayed. So, so there's a whole lot of stuff happening in this passage of Scripture. And like I said, it, it could very well create a message in and of itself. But the thing that I especially want you to see here is that an angel can only be in one place at one time. An angel is not omnipresent. Okay? So just, just to understand that in our minds. All right, third thing I want you to understand. Angels are not to be worshipped. Now, you can somewhat understand how someone might make the mistake because the way angels at times are described in the Bible, they, they are powerful and impressive. And so you can kind of see why someone might get a little confused and maybe think that you're supposed to worship. And in fact, that's exactly what John the Apostle did toward the tail end of Revelation. We read in chapter 19 these words, Then I, being John, fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So John is being corrected. Don't do this, what you're about to do. You don't worship me. You know, I'm just a fellow servant. Your worship goes to God. And so to establish the point, angels are not to be worshiped. In clearing up our understanding, number four, angels are numerous. We don't know how many angels there are, but we know there's a lot of angels. Remember the time Jesus was being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter pulled out his knife to kind of uh, uh, fight back those that were arresting Jesus. And he actually even cut off a guy's ear. And Jesus said to him, Peter, put away your knife. And, and here's what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 26. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Now, a Roman legion was 6,000 soldiers. And so basically what Jesus is saying here is all I've got to do is say the word and there will be 72,000 angels here at my disposal. Okay, wow, that's a lot. So that's how many angels there are. No, that's not how many angels there are. There are far more angels than that. But that's just to illustrate they are numerous. John had a glimpse into the throne room of God in Revelation chapter 5. And this is the way verse 11 reads. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. The number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. In other words, John said, oh, there's no way I could count. There were so many of them. And he's just talking about this glimpse into the throne room of God. 
angels are numerous. Then that leads us to number five, which is kind of the very point that we're talking about. Angels can take on human form. This one is so intriguing in more than one way. Generally, angels are invisible, so you don't see them with the naked eye. This is something that really, though, needs to be established in our minds if we're going to take serious, seriously the teaching that is in this book because uh, uh, the reality of the matter is what the Bible teaches us is that there is an invisible reality all around us. You know, that is one of the concepts that is clearly found in the Bible. Now, the physical realm, we get that well enough. It's evident enough. I mean, you sitting there, you can reach out in front of you or beside you, and you can see that chair. You know that chair is there because you can see it. You can reach out and you can touch it. You know that chair is there. I went for a motorcycle ride yesterday for about 70 miles or so, and and I saw a number of different things. I saw um, families playing out in the yards. I saw multiple people mowing their, their lawns and all those beautiful yellow flowers, uh, just mowing them right off. And uh, um, I saw, uh, went by this one pasture uh, and saw some cattle with some pretty, pretty impressive horns. In fact, that was, you know, every now and then on a motorcycle, you know, you just... You double take, and it's like, okay, I need to get my eyes back on the road again. You know, but that, that was one of those moments. I, I saw a couple of farmers pulling uh, some equipment really, really slow, you know, on the road that I was riding on. But, but I, I know that there were certain things because I could see it. And had I wanted to stop, I could have reached over and I walked over and I could have touched it. And so I know about the physical realm. But what the Bible teaches very matter-of-factly, is that there is a spiritual realm, too, all around us. And this spiritual realm, this invisible realm, is every bit as real as the physical realm um, that we see all around us. The Bible repeatedly drives home this message. You consider a passage like this is one of my, my favorite passages when this topic is uh, um, a and being discussed is in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. It's in that passage that you have the king of Israel, you know, he's kind of a player in the story, and then you have the king of the Arameans, and then you have the prophet of the day, who was a fellow named Elisha. And the Arameans, they, they were basically trying to maneuver and strategically position themselves um, to defeat uh, the Israel army. And so every time they made a maneuver or they, they you know, kicked into motion a certain strategy of what they were going to do, it seemed like the king of Israel always had an answer and always responded appropriately, um, even, even not reactively, but proactively. And it was really frustrating the king of the Arameans. In fact, he thought he had a spy in his midst. And so he's expressing frustration and anger about that very thought. But one of the guys that uh, uh, was serving under the, the king of Aram, he, he shared that, no, it's not one of us 
that's causing this to happen. It's because over there, there is a prophet named Elisha, and he is telling um, the king of Israel the things you say in the privacy of your ch chambers and, and all. And, and he's telling all of that kind of stuff. And so the king of the Arameans, you know, he decides, all right, we're going to do something about this then. And so, so based on some intel, he figures out where um, Elisha is located at that time. And he sends at least a portion of his army to go there and to surround the place with, of course, the intent of taking him captive and probably killing him. And so now the story switches to Elisha and his servant. His servant wakes up fairly early in the morning and, uh, I don't know, goes out and stretches his legs a little bit. And he sees the Aramean army that has just totally surrounded the place. And all of a sudden, he's like hyperventilating in fear uh, because of what he sees. And so he rushes back into Elisha to report to him what, what has happened. And the Arameans, they're here. They've got us. But... Elisha's really calm. He's like, oh, no, this isn't a problem. And it's at this moment that uh, um, Elisha says this, do not fear. He says this to his servant. Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, put yourself in his servant's shoes. His servant has just gone out and witnessed that there are, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of enemy forces that have encircled the place. But all he can count is Elisha and me, you know, two. And yet this is what Elisha is saying, is that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It just doesn't add up in his mind. And it's at that time that Elisha prays that the Lord will open the eyes of his servant so that he can see. And sure enough, when his servant's eyes are open, all of a sudden he sees in the, the next verse and a half or so, he sees that the hills are filled with flaming chariots and, and all of these forces. And it's basically the angelic realm that is all around that he had not seen, that he wasn't able to see. But the whole time, Elisha had the confidence of knowing, hey, it's covered. It's taken care of. You see, there's basically um, two categories of people that we see being reflected in that story and that exists today. One are those aware of the spiritual realm all around them, and two, those that are oblivious to it, living like that it's only what they can see and touch, that that's it, and kind of living with tunnel vision, you know, in many ways. It's not my intent, like I said earlier, to try to take this topic and sensationalize it this morning. But I do want to challenge your thinking. Um, I do want to heighten your awareness. You know, I'm not trying to kind of make things spooky for you when you go home and if you're in the house all by yourself tonight and you're trying to go to sleep and you turn all the lights out and then all of a sudden you start thinking about what Brad talked about in the sermon and the house settles a little bit and there's a little bit of creaking going on and or maybe that that you know shed door you forgot the latch and a gust of wind blows it bang bang you know and all of a sudden you're just thinking whoa they're all around you know, and uh, you know, that's not my intent to, uh, 
give you um, scary dreams or something along those lines. But it is to help open our eyes, our inner eyes, to be able to realize part of reality. The teaching of Scripture is that we live in two distinct worlds, whether we realize it or not. There is a physical world and there is a spiritual world. And the thing is that these two worlds are not totally separate worlds. They overlap one another. And we're given glimpses of it from time to time in Scripture. There's that passage in 2 Kings 6 that I just talked about a moment ago. Well, I could just as easily be talking about the story about Balaam. Remember this? This is maybe the story that we remember a little bit better. You know, when Balaam's donkey started talking to him. Remember that passage? And more times than not, when we read that passage, that is what our attention goes to, is how incredible that an animal was talking. You know, that God brought that to pass. But the reality is there's actually a bigger story there, you know, than, than the fact that the donkey was talking. You know, Balak was the king of the Moabites, and Moses and the Israelites, they, for the moment, had settled in the valley, and they were a huge number of them. And all the Moabites, they were trembling with fear because they had heard stories about Egypt and the great exodus and all of that. And so what Balak does is he sends word to this guy named Balaam, who apparently was a prophet for hire back in those days. And he was asking Balaam, you know, to come. I'll make you wealthy, but come and curse, you know, Israel. Put a curse on them. Well, God clearly warned Balaam, no, you're not going to give any kind of a, a curse to them. Well, eventually Balaam ends up heading that direction to meet up with Balak and to see where all of Israel is camped. But his intentions are not good. Balaam's heart is not good. And part of the indication of we know that to be the case is there are three times in the New Testament that Balaam is talked about, and all three of them are negative. Here's one of them in 2 Peter chapter 2. It says, they have left the straight, the straight way and wandered off, talking about false teachers, wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. And so Balaam, he was all about one way or another, he was going to stick some, some money, uh, some reward in his pocket that Balak was tempting him with. And, and so here Balaam is riding on his donkey, and then all of a sudden his donkey kind of veers off course and goes out into a field. Remember that? And what does Balaam do? He starts smacking the donkey, scolding the donkey. They get back on path again, and they're headed along, and there are these two vineyards, and, and it actually gets between a couple of walls uh, between these two vineyards. And all of a sudden, the donkey starts pressing against one of the walls, kind of crushing Balaam's foot between the donkey and the wall. And he starts beating on the donkey again. What's gotten into you? And then the third time, they're going along, and there isn't any place to go left. There isn't any place to go right. And the donkey just decides to lay down underneath Balaam. And Balaam has just had all he can take, and he starts beating the donkey again. And it's at that moment in time the donkey talks to him. And this is what, you know, we especially focus on, like I said earlier. And it is noteworthy. 
you know, in regards to some of the miracles you read about in the Bible, that that, that was a pretty incredible one. But I think the bigger story is moments later, God opens Balaam's eyes. And now for the very first time, he sees what the donkey was seeing all along. That there was an, aim, uh, there was an angel with a sword drawn right in front of them. And what the donkey was doing was trying to, to uh, do a favor for Balaam by veering off course and by laying down and not going up there. Because God knew what was in Balaam's heart. And so God had dispatched this angel because what Balaam was doing was not right. And his whole attitude and motivation was not right. But you see, there's another story of where the physical realm and the spiritual realm overlapped it, although it wasn't obvious to Balaam that that was the case. But that is exactly what the case was at that time. Now let's go back to point number five. Angels can take on human form. And this was the verse we were looking at where it says, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it just let that sink in for a moment some have entertained angels without even realizing that that's what they were doing do angels appear to people today scripture gives no compelling reason to rule out that some have and some do okay and part of the point that seems to be made in all of this is that when they do, many, many times people are no wiser, none the wiser about it, of what they actually experienced or what the encounter was. That seems to be part of the foundation of that statement right there. I'll tell you this. When angels do appear, they will not be teaching an alternate gospel. That part... I'm sure of, because the scripture says, Paul said, even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach, let him be eternally condemned. If a true angel appeared, he wouldn't be teaching you know, a different gospel than this. Um, and that does create some problems for like Mormonism, for example. That's where Joseph Smith got a lot of his original stuff was from an encounter with angels. That's the way he reported it. Well, angels would not be teaching something contrary to what the scripture teaches. Look again at this verse. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Why? Why would angels intersect with our lives? Uh, I think that's the question that begs to be asked here. Is what's behind all of that? That this entertaining of strangers that are actually angels. You know, why would that even, even come to pass to begin with? The Bible gives us an answer to that. In fact, it's in the very same book of our primary verse today, the book of Hebrews. You go to the very beginning, the first chapter of Hebrews, and you read this, chapter 1, verse 14. What are all the angels? They are spirits 
sent to serve those who are going to receive salvation. This is telling us one of the primary roles of angels. It's not the only role. It's not like an isolated role that angels have. They actually uh, uh, do uh, several things, but this is one of the noteworthy responsibilities, um, callings that angels have, and that is to serve you and me. Yeah, that may be news to you. Maybe you've never heard that before, but there it is in Scripture. They do that in a variety of ways. One of the things that the Bible teaches very clearly is that there is a spiritual conflict that is going on. And this spiritual conflict has been going on for a long, long time. In fact, it originally started in heaven. Revelation chapter 12 is a good chapter in breaking this down for us. It's not an exceptionally long chapter. It's like 17 verses long. But pretty much start to finish is talking about this spiritual conflict that started in heaven. And uh, the devil was basically trying to usurp the throne of God, but he was not powerful enough, and he was cast out of heaven. And all of those who fell into his rebellion were cast out as well. And that's part of what verse 12 of that chapter is talking about. It says, therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has gone down to you with great fury, because he knows he has a short time. Okay, so there's a celebration in heaven because the devil has been defeated and basically kicked out of heaven. But it's like woe to the earth because now the devil, this is part of his domain. And his intent still is to um, strike at God in whatever fashion that he can. And if he can't hurt God directly, he will hurt him indirectly by attacking his people. And so it talks about this woman, I believe the passage that the woman is spoken of throughout the chapter is talking about Israel. And uh, you go to the very end of that chapter and it says, so the dragon, that's one of the ways the devil's referred to, the ancient serpent, the dragon, the devil, all of those designations are found in this chapter. So it says the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Now, we don't have to uh, be left scratching our heads as to who that's talking about because it tells us at the very last of that last verse. It says, those who keep God's commands and have the testimony about Jesus. It's talking about you and me. So it's talking about this spiritual conflict, a conflict that started long before our time and in a, a, a whole different place. It started in heaven, but now it's being fought in this realm. And the devil, um, he's got the crosshairs on us. This is why you will find scriptures, this should say 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, Stay alert, watch out. For your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. So you see multiple passages of scripture, Revelation 12, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 6 is certainly a noteworthy uh, passage as well. In addition to several other uh, verses that, that uh, are scattered you know, out through scripture that are talking about this spiritual conflict that is going on. 
and how the devil is targeting us. But in the middle of all of that, there is some good news. There is some good news for me and for you. I mean, besides the point that we win in the end, because that's what Revelation is all about. But there's additionally some good news. You are not alone in this battle. And this is part of what the Bible talks about. You see it in the Old Testament too. Like in Psalm 34, verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. We're not going it alone. Psalm 91, verse 11, For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. Moses and the children of Israel were told in Exodus 23, I am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place that I have prepared for you. You see, there are multiple passages of Scripture that indicate that this is part of God's watchful care is through his angels. They have been sent to serve us, right? Isn't that what Hebrews 1.14 said? What are all the angels? They are spirits sent to serve those who are going to receive salvation. All right, so let's bring this together. This is what it says in chapter 1 of Hebrews. And when you connect it, the beginning of Hebrews, with the very end of Hebrews, what do you see at the very end? Our main verse. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without re realizing it. Is there any possible reason that we might intersect with uh, angels? Yeah. It's that right there. That they've been assigned to us. Now, you won't find the terminology guardian angels. Maybe, you know, you can't, maybe a case can be built. I've studied that before, and I couldn't conclusively draw conclusions, you know, on that. But I do know that this is part of the mission. This is part of the role of angels. It's not in the entirety of their um, responsibility, but it is a big part of what angels are to be doing. So I say that to say, you just never know. The stranger that you, you cross paths with might be more than a stranger, might be much more than a stranger. That's what the Bible is saying in Hebrews chapter 13. By the way, you might be interested to know the word hospitality found in chapter 13, verse 2. It's the same word found in other passages speaking of the same subject, hospitality. It literally means the love of strangers. That's what that word literally means, the love of strangers. The irony is that we kind of go the other direction on that, right? Stranger danger. You know, I mean, it's just like avoid strangers. Just, you know, and I totally get why, you know, we talk uh, about that sort of thing, especially with our kids and, and all of this. But somewhere there needs to be some balance in all of this, you know, because we are not to turn a blind eye to strangers. We are not to ignore them and just kind of mind our own business and just walk on by. And just not make any kind of contact. It's so easy to ignore people that you don't know. But that's what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 is saying. Don't be that person that just ignores people around them that they don't know. Don't be that person. 
You need to make contact. You can say a kind word. You can give a pleasant, friendly expression, especially now that you don't have to wear masks all the time. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's saying you don't, you don't ignore them, turn the other way and just walk on by. No, there needs to be some level of warmth being extended even to people that you do not know. Uh, ben gave the announcement earlier, but this Wednesday night at our May primetime gathering that'll happen in this room, it'll be starting at uh, um, 6.45. You know, that's going to be really one application of this whole thought here about warm greetings, extending uh, in the atmosphere, in the setting here in this church, in, in um, settings like this or other church scheduled events, that, that we have a calling not just to gravitate toward familiar faces, but to gravitate toward people that we don't recognize. And especially, this, this is such a relevant topic uh, because coming out of a pandemic, some of us haven't seen each other very much over the last year. And so it's so easy for us when we see each other on Sunday morning to immediately go up to one another and just spend whatever, whatever amount of minutes we have, you know, before the service starts to be talking with, you know, these familiar faces and people that we've missed. I totally get that. But it is crit of critical importance that we extend the hospitality that those, that passage was talking about toward people that we don't know, the love of strangers, people that we don't recognize. So that's, that's going to be part of what we're going to be talking about Wednesday night. And that not only goes for our welcome ministry, that goes for everybody that calls, calls this church their home, that we be those people because by doing that, we can make a difference. And when I say we, I mean you. You can make a difference from something as simple as a warm greeting. So we'll be talking about that and talking about how important that is on Wednesday night. We're ready for our time of communion now. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to have our time of communion. But uh, let, let me just, you know, um, preface it by saying, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about, you know, we're living in a physical realm and there is a spiritual realm that overlaps this physical realm. And probably one of the clearest places and, and examples of where we see that is the very thing we're reflecting on during communion is that Jesus willingly left heaven, temporarily set aside his glory in heaven, took on human flesh, became a human being, all for the purpose, the mission of dying on the cross for you and for me. To make it possible for us to be freed from our sin and to have the hope of an eternity in God's presence forever. Physical, spiritual realities. You see it with Jesus. It was all about, except he didn't just appear like a man. He became a man. He took on human flesh. And he did that because he loved us so much that he was volunteering to die for us. 
when we take the bread and we eat it and the cup and we drink it, we're reminded of the body and the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Being willing to, to give so much so that we could be restored to a relationship with you. One that would span from here through all of eternity. Thank you for Jesus. We worship him. We exalt him. We thank him for what he has done for us. And all of this is being prayed in his name. Amen.